So this is our podcast of Caroline, Samantha, and Serena, and we are doing it on Brain on Fire, which is a memoir written by a young, thriving adult on the brink of achieving all the successes she had hoped for in her life, when suddenly she is struck with an autoimmune disease, anti-NDMA receptor encephalitis, which is essentially her brain just attacking itself, causing swelling and symptoms, which were very difficult for her to figure out. Um, and this pushed her into a nearly catatonic state. We are here today to discuss how and what theory an OT can use with this client to reestablish and recapture her life. Um, so now we will discuss some of her symptoms and history. First, um, she was experiencing paranoia where she thought that she had bed bugs, but there were no bed bugs. She experienced numbness in her left hand and foot, but her exam came back normal. She had unremarkable MRI results, normal blood tests. She tested negative for infection and negative for mono. She experienced manic behavior, paranoia, erratic outbursts. Um, when she had highs, they were very high. And when she had lows, they were very low. Um, with that meaning, she experienced like some very, very good times and also some very low like depressive states. Um, she had general seizure. Um, and then regression every day after three seizures. She had no previous illnesses and she was not on medication. Um, she had trouble with her visual working memory and conjuring words. So to just give an idea of what her experience was like in the hospital, Susanna wasn't able to remember any of it. That's why, so her book is called My Month of Madness and her only memory of these events was recounted through other people who were there. So her dad and mom had a journal communicated between the two of them. So she was able to read that. Um, she watched videos of her in the hospital, which it took her a while to get comfortable doing that because they were so intense and just seeing her self do things that she doesn't remember was a very overwhelming experience. Um, and then following her hospital stay, she had to relearn so much. So she had to relearn how to walk, um, how to talk, smile, um, fulfilling roles like being a daughter. Um, she was previously a writer at the New York Post, so having to like regain her ability to do that successfully. And so Susanna was the 217th person in the world to ever be diagnosed with the NM NDMA receptor encephalitis. So it's a very new illness that people are discovering. So it was a lot of trial and error trying to figure out what worked best for her. And I think it's important to point out too that the doctors and medical staff were really quick to diagnose her with a psych psychiatric disorder and they wanted to put her in a psychiatric sort of inpatient facility and her parents and family and loved ones and friends at work were her greatest asset during this time. Don't you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that one of the things that helped them realize, oh, this is actually like, a like it's not a psychiatric illness was the clock test. So we talk about how they use the clock test of drawing the clock for stroke patients. And so her using that, they were able to see, oh, this is an actual like physiological issue. Something is going on and then we can proceed. And it's so interesting because it's such a simple like assessment, but being able to see how it's an issue I that's I feel like was the start of kind of like their uphill journey of okay we figured out we've 
under like we can now look into what it might be because we have this understanding but that was not like the oh everything's easy from here they still went through a lot of trial and error a lot of struggles and i feel like i mean even though it's from susanna's point of view she talks a lot about how this was so emotionally draining on mm -hmm. her family as well mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and start with my occupation-based model, and I have the Cowar River model. So the focus of this model um, is to apply mainly to working with people from the Eastern culture, but also obviously applies to Western culture as a way to explain the relevance and purpose of occupational therapy interventions. So this uses something that's sort of abstract compared to the other models we've learned about this semester. So it's a river metaphor, and it communicates the inseparable nature of people from their collective social groups and the inseparable quality of occupations from their natural and spiritual context. Clients are defined as inclusive of the individual and other members of the collective. OTs can collaborate with the, a whole group to assess the de and design interventions or with an individual person. Occupational challenges occur when internal client factors or external occupational context patterns or demands create barriers that interfere with the working of the group or individual and prevent the river of life from flowing freely. The best way to use this model, I think, is to use a qualitative interview assessment such as the chart, and I'll get into that a little bit later. So the basis of the kawa is um, in Japanese folklore, and it's embedded in nature. And so that's different definitely from anything else we've learned, I feel like, um, and that's just part of Eastern culture and it's viewed as cooperation with nature and society. And the meaning of kawa in Japanese is actually the word river, so it makes sense to call it that. The elements of this model include water, riverbed, bottom and sides, rocks, driftwood, and spaces between these. Water represents life flow and health, which we know begins to be interrupted when Susanna begins to experience symptoms of her encephalitis, even though no one knows what it is when it's happening. They just think she's being erratic. It can represent one's, one person's life from birth. So that's the river source to the death. And that's the mouth where the river meets the sea. Rocks represent life circumstances and problems. So rocks vary in size that impede the water's flow. Um, these things can be injuries, illness, or misfortune. And this, I think, represents Susanna's symptoms of her encephalitis, which create barriers for her to fulfill her roles as an employee, a daughter, and a girlfriend. Steven. Uh, driftwood represents personal assets and liabilities and attributes that can help or hinder the water's flow. And we can argue that her family and colleague support system was her greatest asset. So I consider them driftwood that helped clear the way for mm -hmm. Susanna, like we just talked about, Caroline. Yeah, I agree. They advocated that she did not have mental illness, but rather something greater was occurring illness-wise. And they saw this when they did the clock test because no person with a neurologically normal mind would create a clock where only half the numbers were on one side mm -hmm. or where all the numbers were on only one half of the clock. So that's how they noticed the swelling in her brain. 
So driftwood can create log jams in the river, but it can clear it, like we said, and we decided that that was her family. So the spaces between elements provide opportunities for occupational therapy interventions where shifting elements can create new pathways of flow. Like I mentioned earlier, I would use a qualitative interview as the assessment, and I chose the chart. Um, the downside to the chart would be that it does not uh, specify into the environmental context of the client's life. So Susanna's work life, I don't think would be dove into as deeply as it should be, because that seems to be her most important occupation to her is her role as an employee at the New York Post. The assessment can lead to us becoming an educator as the OT, which is most acceptable for this client because she is motivated to learn occupations and strategies to increase increase her river's flow and her satisfaction with life. So the gap occurs in the fact that this is better this model is better applied to a group collectively rather than an individual and how social cultural groups play into the role of identity of the client. And we could apply this to Susanna in the workplace and involve some of her coworkers as a group with this model um, at the post. But really, we're just sort of taking an individual look at her. So to me, that's the only gap I see. An intervention that we could use as an OT for relearning writing for the office environment and even to include some of that social cultural aspect would be to have her socially interact and message um, with her close office colleagues in order to reestablish, relearn, and improve typing skills, as well as her word recall to begin rebinding her with her office environment, which would create improved work environment harmony for Susanna at the New York Post. For my frame of reference, I selected cognitive behavioral, and the focus of this frame of reference by OTs is psychological barriers to activity engagement that are encountered. Emotions often interfere with participation and occurs across the lifespan. A key description of the client's subjective experiences become the key factor in development intervention strategies. Collaboration is another cornerstone of this frame of reference and the OT client-centered approach. Activity is focused on attention to behaviors that result from perceptions of information processing, and empiricism refers to the use of the scientific method emphasizing the client's ability to apply reasoning to situation in his or her own life. Subjective research methods are needed as the OT considers the client's experience and intent and the complexity of occupations with his or her life context. Generalization is another shared goal of the OT in the cognitive behavioral therapy, and both seek to apply benefits learned in therapy to life in the client's real world. Clients are motivated by both internal and external reinforcement, and motivation works best when the clients have internalized the profession, the personal satisfaction that comes with mastery and achievement of occupational goals. So most self-report checklists and rating skills depend on cognitive abilities of clients to communicate the client's own perception, emotions, abilities, and problems. So this can be something like a self-report test, anxiety scale, life satisfaction, cognitive levels, test of ADLs. It's important that the intervention of a collaborative design for Susanna is agreed upon behavioral goals and objectives. 
OT intervention should be should include psychoeducational groups, social and life skills programs, self-regulation programs, or the Williamson's coping model. For psychoeducation, which is one that I chose, I said that we could work on the use of public transportation, which would be beneficial because she lives in New York. And this type of intervention requires her to use rational thinking to apply new knowledge and skills through problem solving. For a life skills intervention, which are related to her everyday interactions, we can use this to help her improve her nonverbal behaviors with her colleagues when she is having difficulty with word recall. And we read somewhere, how many words can she recall in a given amount of time? It was very 32. Mm-hmm. 32 words. And, and I think she started out even less than that. Um, but towards the end of the book, it was 32 words a minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, it talked about how at the beginning, um, I think April was around the time where this was, she could only name five words in one minute. And so she had a significant improvement when she was able to do the 32 words in three mm-hmm. minutes. But a lot of them, it was just she was having difficulty with word recall and just finding um, words to speak. Like it took her a while to just get the word in her mind and then vocalizing it was also really difficult. Okay. Is that all for yours? No, I think I have one more thing I want to say. For self-regulation program, we can use rational approach to problem behaviors and we can implement coping strategies for stress management, both at home and the work environment. And then I also believe that we can use for life skills um, related to everyday interactions to help her with her nonverbal behaviors with her colleagues when she's having difficulty with that word recall. And the Kawa OBM and the cognitive behavioral frame of reference would be good to use together because the Kawa uses the work and social cultural aspect of the workplace, which is arguably Susanna's most important occupation. And the cognitive behavioral frame incorporates more individualized things that will contribute to her successes in occupational tasks essential to her everyday life as a writer. Okay, thank you, Samantha. I really enjoyed learning about the Kawa model. Um, That's something we haven't really touched on in class, and I thought it was kind of interesting how well it fits with my model. Um, So my model that I chose that would be the best fit for the client is the PEO model, and PEO stands for Person, Environment, Occupation, The purpose of this model is to be transactional more than interactional. That means that each part of the PEO is impacting the other. The model looks at the best fit of these transactions um, and the change over a lifespan. So achieving a good fit is the focus of this intervention. Um, So this uh, model was founded by Cooper Law, Stuart Strong, and Let's Rigby, and it's derived from the interest of looking into the relationship between a person and their environment. This theory was developed in 1996, and during this time, people were shifting to a much more holistic approach in overall society, which is great for OT um, and specifically for this client, uh, looking at her her certain needs and wants that she wants to get out of life. So some key terms in this model include person, environment, occupation, activity, and tasks. So person is defined as being dynamic and ever-developing, and it includes the mind, body, and spirit. Environment is defined as the context within which an occupation takes place. Occupation is defined as what meets the person's intrinsic needs. 
Activity is a basic unit of a task, and a task is defined as a set of purposeful activities. So overall, um, this model is just very person-centered, and I think it would be great for Susanna um, because before she kind of entered this blackout, she was a daughter, a girlfriend, and a friend um, in her person aspect. And for the environment, um, before the blackout, she lived in New York. And then after the blackout, she lived in, with her parents in New Jersey. So her environment did shift. And then for occupation, prior to the blackout, she was an author for the New York Post. And after the blackout, she is sort of writing for them again. And I know that that occupation is really important to her. So that's something that she wants to get back to. So as an OT, I would like to start working with her after she is released from the hospital to get her back to her prior life um, or to her life as it was prior to the blackout. And as an OT, I can give her strategies to make sure she has a balanced fit of her person, environment, and occupation so that she can live a fulfilled life. Um, so before she seemed to have a very good balance of the fit. So my goal is to get her back to that. Since the PEO model does not have a set assessment tool that are typically used, um, I chose to use the occupational questionnaire. Um, I think this will be great for her because it is an interview with the client um, and you can ask them about their perceived occupational performance and also what their interests are. So I can make sure it's very client centered um, and find what means the most to her. And while also seeing like what where her occupational performance is at the time. And for this client specifically, my intervention would focus on her occupation of work and helping her get back into work. Since she does have cognitive delays and trouble with her visual working memory, I would work with her on regaining some of that cognitive ability back. Like we just kind of talked about before, the book stated that she could only name 32 words in three minutes, and that is definitely not ideal for anybody, especially an author or a writer. So I would like to work on word recall to increase that number. Um, and since it also stated she lost verbal functioning, I would try to find her some adaptive equipment so that she could go back to work and communicate effectively with her coworkers. Um, some gaps I find in this model is that it doesn't really look at any other occupations um, other than work. And I think I would like to know other hobbies that she has to be able to find her fit even better using the PEO model. And then for the frame of reference, I chose for this client is applied behavior and applied behavior uses different techniques in order to elicit a certain behavior. Um, and these are done by stimulus slash response, action, consequence, and classical conditioning. There are many um, psychologists such as Pavlov, Skinner, and Bandura who had an impact on this theory and these theories are widely used today. Um, so some of the key terms in this model are reinforcement, um, which is trying to increase or decrease a behavior or even um, extinct a behavior. And change in this model is highly driven on reinforcement. Um, so I think that this would be a really good model for her because she is trying to get back into society as normal as possible. So we need to make sure we can kind of work with some of those behaviors that are acceptable in society. Um, so function in this theory is known as being able to act normal in society without letting uh, different stimuli have an impact on our ability to do our normal tasks and dysfunction is when the client cannot act normal in society. This frame of reference would be great for this client after the black after her blackout as she is trying to get back into society as normal as possible. Um, since she um, has been struggling with outbursts, it would be good to do some relaxation training with her um, so that she can use those techniques when she gets overwhelmed. And another intervention 
would be the collaborative therapeutic homework, um, which will help the client enhance her goals or her generalization of lessons learned and social skills or life skills that she can apply to her everyday life. And then the final intervention I would use is teaching skills, which will help um, shape the behaviors through reinforcement. And I think that these behaviorals would be ones that are acceptable in society so that she can join society once again as normal as possible. So I think this frame of reference would work really well with her. So overall, I think the PEO model and applied behavior would be the best combination for the client because she wants to go back to her life as it was prior to the blackout. So we need to find a good fit for her. She may need some guidance or adaptive equipment to achieve that, but I do believe she can live independently again. Um, these theories give OTs a roadmap of how to navigate a client's setbacks in order to achieve their goals. Yeah, uh, thanks, Serena. And so this is great that we're going in the order that we are because so Serena talked a lot about the person, environment, and occupation. And I am doing the CMOP e model, which has those similar aspects. So like Serena said, um, for her person, Susanna is, she's a daughter, she's a girlfriend, she's a friend. Um, and so those are all just really important aspects of her life. But as we know, the CMOP e model has the spiritual aspect that's the center of the person. And so I think for Susanna, in a way, this model would be beneficial because I think it would help her regain that like idea of like, who am I? What motivates me? Like, what am I able to do? after her experience because losing that entire month she lost part like a part of her that she'll never be able to fully experience herself um, and she'll only be able to go through that based off of other people's like interpretation and so losing that part she may feel a sense of like who am I who have I become will I ever be able to get back to who I was and so approaching it with the CMOP model I think would be great because we could really find an understanding of what her human spirit is and so a couple of different aspects of the person are like her attitudes, her motivation. And I think we see in the book, it mentioned that she didn't approach her recovery as best as she could have because she had a really hard time initiating that process. And she lost some like a window that she mentioned, which is a great time for brain recovery right after an injury. So in some ways, I think she was having like a hard time getting motivated to begin with. Like, will I ever get back to where I was? It can be really discouraging. Um, and we also see that following her month at the hospital, she loses a lot of her physical ability. So she has decreased strength. She has decreased endurance. Um, her motor planning isn't super great. She's on a lot of medication. So she feels physically just drained and different. So I think understanding where she's at and talking about where she wants to be would be great. And I think with the CMOP-E model, we talk about how this one is so client-centered. So approaching Susanna as a very individual case, all of these circumstances are included. So how did your life before um, impact like what you went through during your illness and how can we take that and then improve upon it? Um, like Serena said, I don't want to um, repeat too much, but her environment um, was both where she lived in New York, later living in New Jersey. Her hospital stay was a big part of her environment, although it's so interesting because I don't know if she used it as much of an environment for her as a person because she wasn't able to physically um, experience that. And so I think these are just some important parts of my model that um, are really helpful. I would approach um, the assessment tool by using the COPM. It's a great way to understand how Susanna deals her performance, but also um, we're able to take the scores we get from that and create client-centered goals, which for her I think would be really helpful. 
And then for um, just something for intervention would be to approach maybe using one of the six principles of enablement and empowerment. And so I think this could be a great way just to get her motivated and finding things that empower her, that get her excited, whether that be her job as a writer or um, being a girlfriend. We can see that her relationship with Steven was great all throughout and that he might be a really great person to help her get through that. And so those are just some different aspects about um, my OBM. And then moving on to my frame of reference, I chose Toglia's dynamic interactional frame of reference. And I think this one is a great approach because it talks about cognitive function and cognitive dysfunction where um, dysfunction is, well, it involves core deficiencies that um, result in the inability to be efficient in processing strategies, organization, um, the ability to monitor performance. And I think memory is also a big part of cognitive dysfunction. And as we can see, she's missing an entire month of her memory. So I think this would be a great model, or not model, frame of reference to approach with. Um, one assessment tool that I would specifically use for this model would be the contextual memory test. Um, in the book, it talks about how she just has a lot of difficulty with memory, whether that's um, regaining word or visual working memory or um, conjuring up different words. Um, she has difficulty with like verbal reasoning. And so I think this specific contextual memory test would be great because it requires the client to describe his or her perspective um, on a memory test and then describe the strategies that they would use. So understanding where she's at and then later using that as like a follow-up assessment tool could be really good. And then for some interventions, a memory notebook would be really great. In the book, it talks about how she was kind of doing that as a way to understand where she's at, even if she didn't realize it in the moment. Um, another strategy for like task performance would be um, looking at things as a whole instead of focusing on details, because I think if she hones in too much, she's not able to like really understand why she's doing something. And then lastly, stimuli blocking is a specific approach for this frame of reference where you cover up different parts of something, like reading, for example, you cover up parts that you've already read and parts that you haven't read so you're able to focus. And so I think this would be great just because it allows her to keep her concentration. Attention was also something that she lost a lot of function on. So being able to help her regain more of that attention and slowly not have to stimulate block as much stimuli and then we can help her improve. And so overall, I feel like the CMOPI and the Toglia's dynamic interactional approach are two really great models that could help us really understand who Susanna is as a person, find what's motivating to her, what's meaningful. But also with the COPM, we could really involve her family because if she doesn't remember some of the things or she's having trouble, we can pull them in to really find out what Susanna um, what would work best for her. So yeah, that was mine. Thank you, Caroline. Okay, so next we are going to move into the peer reviews, if everybody begin. Okay, so now we are moving on to the peer review. Um, so I, Serena, am peer reviewing Caroline. Um, so how well was I convinced by my peers' concluding statement and everything else they described? I was very convinced. One thing that I think Caroline did really great at was drawing in facts and quotes from the book. Um, I think that obviously makes her argument very reputable. 
and convincing. So that was one thing I think she did really well. Um, the two best points from their her case study, um, I really appreciated how much em, like emphasis Caroline put on losing a month of her life and like how hard that was for her. I think that was something that I kind of almost overlooked and focused just on like, oh, how can we help her after, um, you know, the blackout? But I think it was really uh, good of Caroline to kind of point out like how much of an impact that had on Susanna, even, you know, after she woke up and everything. And then the next good point, um, I really like the six principles of enablement and empowerment. Um, I don't have a ton of knowledge um, on those principles, but they seem to fit um, the situation really well. So I loved how you pointed that out. Um, and I think that'll be worth kind of digging deeper even after this conversation. Um, I guess the only thing I think she could improve on was something that was more out of her control. I wish we almost had more time to go into Toglia's interventions because it was so cognitive based. I think it would have fit so well for the client. So I wish we just had more time to kind of dive deeper into those interventions. Um, I think that her approach met the client's needs great. I think it was very client centered as it should be and there's not much that I would change. Um, and then for these two theoretical approaches, I think Toglia being cognitive and CMOP E being client-centered, they fit really well together, like looking at her cognition, but taking a step back and making sure it was client-centered. And I think the OT definitely needs these two theories um, in order to kind of help clients in the future. So great job, Caroline. Thanks so much, Trina. Okay, so um, I, Caroline, am going to be peer reviewing Samantha's. And so first of all, I want to say great job on doing Kyle's model before we do even done in class. I feel like you get it a great description of what it was. I was able to follow. Um, and I also think you did a great job on just talking about the cognitive behavioral approach. I think like Susanna's actions are very much like influenced by her cognition and what her like functional abilities are. So I think that's a great way to approach this. Um, two of your best points, I feel like one would be out of your OVM and just talking about how we can argue that her family and her colleague support are probably one of her greatest assets. And so without her family, there was a very good chance Susanna could have ended up in an institution because I think they were ready to say it's a psychiatric disorder. Let's leave it at that. And so I think since her family was her advocate, that was such an important role that they played in her recovery process. And without them, I don't think she would have been able to write her story out like she did. Um, I also think for your frame of reference, one of your other great points were talking about the self-report test. Um, in the book, it actually talks about how that was one of the ways that the doctor assessed how Susanna was doing. But it was also really interesting because he also asked her family because I think there was a notion that she might not actually understand where she's at. And so I think those reports are a great way to find an understanding of how the person thinks she how Susanna thinks she's doing, but also maybe get a more realistic understanding from her family. And then I also really liked the idea of like the psychoeducation approach that was so specific to Susanna for her to maybe try to learn to use public transportation because she's from New York. So that shows that you were thinking about her as a person. What would she specifically benefit from? Mm -hmm. So great job on both of those points. Um, I think for something that you could improve upon, um, Though the psychoeducation is a great approach, I think starting with an intervention that is a little bit more simple, I think her getting into public transportation would probably be like a later on. So maybe having 
um, something that's a little bit more right in the moment, right after she gets out of the hospital would be really helpful. But again, the learning how to use public transportation is gonna be a great asset for her later on. Um, I also think you did a great job of just bringing your two models together. I think you understood like the concepts of both of them very well and it was easy to follow. Um, the information you gave was beneficial and especially with the Kava model being a lot more abstract, being able to connect to it to something like cognitive behavioral, which is a lot more like, here's what we know, here's what helps, here's how we should approach this. I think you did a great job of combining the two. Uh, and I think it goes to show that sometimes having the word for word of this is what works, this is how we should approach it, isn't always like the perfect way to approach it. Having a Kava model as one that's a lot more abstract, you're able to like think about it more. It's very related to the person individually, I think is a great model to have for occupational therapy because it allows us to be, have maybe more of a connection to like the abstract self rather than like, here's our test, here are the results, here's what we do with like this specific result. So I think that was a great one to have for this. And Samantha, that's all I have for you. Oh, thank you, Caroline. So I'm Samantha and I'm peer reviewing Serena. So Serena had the PEO model and applied behavior frame of reference. I was very convinced about her argument to use PEO and AB uh, because of her investment in Susanna's life before her encephalitis and her blackouts and her symptoms, um, your choice of OBM and your frame of reference really centered around Susanna. And I like that you gave that nod sort of to Skinner and that psychology aspect. I know that you were a psychology major in yes. undergrad, so <laughs> don't know if that's part of the reason you picked this. Maybe it really just resonates with you. And I think that's a nice thing about OT if there's a model that really resonates you and it can fit with your client, why not? Especially if it's something that you understand really well. So I like that I noticed that and something mm -hmm. that you chose and that it was based on changes based on reinforcement. Um, and I like that you pointed out an aspect about her living independently because I hadn't previously thought of that when I was creating mine. And that you touched on assistive equipment or adaptive equipment. And I also hadn't thought of that. So I thought those were two really big points to bring up. Um, I believe this met Susanna's needs to get back to her life prior to what she had before her encephalitis and before her blackouts and ongoing symptoms. And I think that AB um, is a really good frame of reference to use because behavior was such a large part of her problem, especially in her work environment context. Um, her integrating back into her social and social cultural environment at work is a really big thing that I think that she was worried about when it came to her rehabilitation. So I think you did an excellent job and that o this OBM and this four would meet her needs well and they're important to OT when it comes to keeping everything client-centered but also using environment and behavior together is such a big part of her job as a writer at the Post that I think it works perfectly in harmony. So great job, Serena. Thank you. And that'll do it. Yes. Yes. Thanks for listening to our podcast Yay. and record.